theyeshiva.net. Okay, let me summarize what we learned in Peter Gimel. About that there are two dimensions of what is, what, it, what is called what is called here tsaakas the the yearning or the outcry or the gravitation the forces the force that causes the heart to gravitate to be nimshach to have a shuka a craving a yearning a simoin a thirst. And one is called Chitzonius Halev, one is called Primius Halev. The oases that we used here were, one has to do with the Pchin of Achirayim, Achere Hashem Yelechu, which produces Ka'arye Yishak, the roar of the lion, which would seem as the most powerful outcry, the most powerful form of of connection. But he says that's really the tzaika of Chitzonius Alev. And then there is Bakshu Ponoi, search for my Pnimius Alev, which only comes from Espanecha Hashem Avakesh. Espanecha Hashem Avakesh means that I search not for your Chitzonius, for your Ziv, for your Rei, for your Ha'ara, but I search for your Pnimius. And the difference, he says, is one comes from Tam Vedas, one comes from a certain awareness and understanding of Godless Hashem, which is explained as the presence of Hashem within every creation, as explained at length, Va'ata Mechaye Eskula. And this is called Chitzoni Yisalev, because it, this chuka comes from the Hispashtus, the Ziv, the extension, the ray of the Divine on the Nivroyim which that is what every Nivra could comprehend according to its own level and capacity. And that is what's called Mayim, the way the Hashpa, whenever Alakus is in a state of Hamshach and Hashpa, coming down, what do we mean coming down? Compressing itself, articulating itself, limiting itself, restricting itself, to be able to suit, to suit the chemistry and the identity of a Nivra, this is already the beginning of Mayim, Ma'amayim, Yerdim, Imakim, Gavoya, Wamakim, Namuch. And therefore, this is called Chitsoinius Alev because it's taken from a, relatively speaking, from a place that we call Chitsoinius, which means post symptom, post restrictions, post limitation. And that's where the tzaika of Chitsoinius Alev comes in. Achere Hashem. I'm, I'm having access to the Achirayim, and that's Ka'arya Yishag. It creates a tremendous cry, a scream, a passion, a tremendous fire. But it's essentially Achare, and we call it external. And then there is that which is, he says, Lamailamitam Vadas. Hashem himself is Nizgov Shmoy Levadai. Hamelech Hamerumum Levadai Meyaz. Hamishubach Vamisnasi. Hamishpoy Vamisnasi Meyazolo. Kaddish, Muvdal, Hashem Alekecha, Eish Oichlu, it's fire. The Teva of fire is that it doesn't come down, on the contrary, it constantly ascends, ascends to heaven, tries to leave the earth. You have to, you have to hold it down, that Hashem Alekecha, Eish Oichlu, it's beyond Hashpa, it's beyond Begeder, Begeder Hashpa, because for the world to be, for the world to be what it is, not bottle, not Vahaya Kalaihayu, if this was expressed, if this was manifested, 
the world would cease to be, it would go back to a state of ayin ve'efes, for there to be being and existence, there has to be mayim, not esh. Yoridim emakam gavaya, the inclination has to be to descend, to compress, to make it finite. If the esh was revealed, was manifested in the world, he says the oilamas would be ptalem, vahoyu keloi hoyu. They would be like they never were, ayin ve'efes, completely ayin ve'efes, in the source, in the ain't So therefore, from this, from this place, from this consciousness, comes the pnimius halev, the tzaykim, pnimius which is beyond das, not to be separated from the achdus, limser nafshi ba'echad, because chelik Hashem amay, and that's the, that's the bakshuponai, the b'chomoidecha, the shiramalis, mi ma'amakim, mi ma'amakim krosich Hashem, me'imke halev. When you say from this consciousness, you mean from our awareness that such a place exists? Yeah. Even though we don't have no chelik in it. We don't, have an, we don't have an intellectual chelik in it, I would say. There's no, there's no hasag of it in terms of uh, comprehending it within our finite structures. Is there, on the, on the lower level, in the third, there is a comprehension? On some, even the lower level, it's not comprehension, uh, you know, mamish to comprehend the divine is um, not even, even mamalikalaman we can't really understand. But there's some um, experience of it in terms of one's finite hasaga because that is the divine energy that creates the human the human identity so from ident from your own identity you can find it because that is at the core of your identity so there could be some level of hasaga some level of comprehension how much do we know of our own neshama just like we know our own neshama we don't really know the mohus of your neshama but 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 we could we relate to our neshama because that's our life force that's our identity that's our chiyos now to explain this somewhat, <coughs> so let's give an example, it's just an example, it's not going to be exactly accurate or perfect, but just a little time of the concept. If we talk about human relationships, oops. Mail of the table. What about the notebook? (laughs) It's indelible. If we talk about in relationships between human beings, so let's give to th- this model again. I'm just using it as a as a impoverished muscle to be able to just taste a little bit of the difference. Lefierich in our own conversations between ourselves. The convers- the, the, the muscle I'm going to give first is. I'm going to use it. I'm going to use the word "course." I don't mean "course" in the literal understanding of "course," but "course" lefierich the concept that we're discussing. But I think that will be an introduction to be able to go into it a little deeper. In uh, in all relationships, one of the greatest 
challenges, and every challenge is also an opportunity, so I shouldn't say challenges, one of the greatest opportunities in a relationship is there's two dimensions in a relationship. This is almost any relationship, probably not almost, probably every relationship, but saying almost to play it safe. If I'm relating to you, whether you're dealing with friends, colleagues, employers, employees, partners, good chaverim, at any stage of the game, chaverim, as youngsters, as adults, as teenagers, as senior citizens, whatever whatever stage in life, and of course every stage has a different, relationships with friends are different. There's no senior citizens in this room, I know. I'm just, really? <laughs> what makes you see? What makes you Years on the planet. <laughs> Einstein says time is relative. You know. <laughs> right. Okay, relative to everyone else in the room. As we're talking about. <laughs> and then, of course, this is in the, all types of parents and children, <laughs> teachers and students, of course, spouses, siblings, mashaloyiyah. Where there is a relationship, there will always be two dimensions of the relationship. One is the way I relate to you based on my experience of you. And essentially, that is how many relationships function. Which means, I often never get to know you. All I get to know is (coughs) myself. If I'm happy, that itself is good. But what I mean is, the way I define you is in terms of myself. I grasp you in a certain way. I experience you in a certain way. And I impose that on you. Now sometimes, no, that's, I am, I am. I'm, I, I know you from me. I, mean, I use my mind to know you. I use my heart to know you. I can't know you from you. Only you know yourself from you. I know you from me. But often there could be a great challenge in that. Because sometimes I never even get to know you because your entire self is tarnished and it's colored and it's tainted by my own experiences. Very often, and this is a very basic theme in psychology and generally in self-help, if I experience certain things in life, so I process everything through that prism. I process everything through that filter. When you speak to me, I don't hear what you're saying. I hear my voice interpreting what you're saying from my perspective, from my experiences. And sometimes people who have been through difficult experiences, never mind traumatic experiences, almost everything anybody tells them is filtered through that prism. They become defensive in situations when you didn't even mean that. They become aggressive, they shy away, they run away this way or that way, explicitly, emotionally or intellectually, consciously or unconsciously, but they're experiencing the relationship completely not based on who you are, but based on who they are. I don't necessarily mean in in dysfunctional situations it becomes very, very dysfunctional. Because the 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 first prerequisite for a relationship, a real relationship, is the humility to be able to know that my experience is not your experience, and your experience is not my experience. 
And it's not easy for people to always realize that, even if intellectually nobody would argue with that, when it comes to emotion, emotions are so powerful, my experience of you is you, there's no other you. So you said this and this to me, you did this and this to me, it triggers me in such a powerful way that I almost have no space in me for anything but my experience of you. And that's how I judge you, and that's how I define you, and that's how I experience you, and that's how I relate to you. And maybe for years, all of my emotions towards you are based on my tfisa of you, which has absolutely nothing to do with you. It has complete, everything to do with me. Your entire identity, in other words, is defined and grasped and experienced via the tools that I have. Now those tools may be extraordinary, wonderful tools. Sometimes those tools are damaged. Or, I don't know the word damaged, but those tools need, need help. They need expansiveness. Especially if I've been through some stuff and I don't have any other tools. That's how I experience life. Now this itself, is not, there's not, no, no one color for this. This itself could be from one extreme to another extreme. But we see this all the time. Part of human life, human progress, part of Avoidah, part of Avoidah, including Avoidah Hashem, is working on this. And every day, growing with this, is true with our children, it's true, of course, with our spouses, there it becomes really intense, but it's true with everybody. It's really true in every type of relationship. And you can't blame, I can't blame myself or anybody else. I experience life through I, through my mind. Was willst du? These are the responses I'm accustomed to. These words mean certain things for me. They don't mean the same thing for you. You can hear something from somebody. It creates a tremendous trigger in you that you will live with for weeks later and you won't stop thinking about it. The same person told the same words to somebody else. Yeah, he forgot them around seven seconds later. <laughs> and the other person won't forget them 20 years later. Why? The words were the same. But what they heard was not the same. <laughs> I heard one thing, you heard completely something else. Because what I heard was not what you said. <coughs> Rather, I heard what you said based on my experiences of life, my awareness of life, my awareness of self, my standing in this world. And if one does not understand this, one cannot begin to break down the boundaries between people. Because two people could live together their whole life, but they're living in different frequencies. I don't know you, you don't know me, I have a certain definition of who you are. Sometimes in couples, you see, they get married... They interpret each other in the beginning of their marriage based on a certain way, and that interpretation never changes. And every day the wife continues to confirm for the husband who she is. Now that every day he has more rayas that this is the person, she has more rayas that he is this type of person. 24 years later, each one of them has a book with approximately 3.6 million proofs that my husband is this type of person, my wife is this type of person, and every statement, henceforth, until their last breath, is just another confirmation that you are this type, I am this type, he is this type, she is this type, and this is not disputable. 
and you have already at some point you have forty years of rayas. Yeah, forty years, and it's all inside. It's not even you don't even have to process it anymore. And every time your wife says this, your husband says this, it just goes into the same file. Here she goes again, here he goes again. And it includes positive, it includes negative, it includes things that drive you crazy, it includes things that you make peace with. And then one day you open your eyes, and you realize, perhaps, if you're lucky, you never even began to know the person. You knew a lot, but everything was filtered through your own consciousness based on your capacity. And it's not its not a blame. It's not about a blame game. You're guilty, I'm guilty. It's about appreciating the limits of our understanding and how often that uh, impoverishes, compromises, and minimizes the depth of a relationship. Which means I'm not experiencing you. I'm experiencing me. Is it possible that a relationship should graduate to a deeper place where actually I experience you, not me, I experience you? I'm telling you, it's not an easy thing. you got to change me first. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah. you have to change me first? Or something like that. You can open up. That, that's, but, 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 but this is not easy. This is, this, because we don't, rea- we don't realize this is happening. I don't say, okay, my wife is talking to me. I don't hear what she's saying. All I hear is what I want her to say, what I think she's saying, what works with my insecurities, or trauma, or guilt, or shame, or pain, or hurt, or loneliness. And here is another confirmation that there's people that walk around the planet feeling they're misunderstood. And anything you'll tell them will be another raya that they're misunderstood. <coughs> it's very hard to get out of that. V'chuli, v'chuli, many other examples for this. I mean, life is an example. Every life is an example of this. I once gave a shir of Yashaber Salavechik. Once did a, said a tremendous vart. It was at a convention of the RCA, Vestados Arabonim in Atlantic City in 1961. I don't know if you were there. <laughs> you know which part I'm going to say? The Gemara says in Chagiga that Elisha ben Avuya told his Rebbe, his Talmud Rebbe made, he could never do tshuva. Because he heard a baska on Yom Kippur. Shuvu bonim shayvavim chutz acher. All children are welcome besides acher. So he said, God said, I'm not welcome. Everybody asks, the, Ramba, the Rambam says, everybody says, There's nothing in Judaism that stands in the way of tshuva. This is an axiom of Yiddishkeit. With one exception, Elisha ben Avuya can't do tshuva. The Rambam says, He was the worst melech. What Menashe did, 55 years of evil reign. He, the Gemara in Yevom says, He killed Yeshaya and Avi, his own Zedah. Yvonne, I think, Dav Memtes, Matsasi Megillah, Storim, he murdered Yeshaya Hanavi. He also did Shuvah. Ramam says, I feel a kafar be'ikir kol yomav, v'shav b'achroin, and oich, good. Also he accepted. Elisha ben Avuya, one man, chutz mayach. So he said, in Yerushalmi, in Yerushalmi, you have the same story, but with one change. The baskel is Shuvah bonam shayvavim, 
Chutz Me'elisha Ben Avuya. Which one was the Baskel? Was the Baskel Shuva Bonam Shevavim Chutz Me'ache? Was it Shuva Bonam Shevavim Chutz Me'elisha Ben Avuya? Which one? Did Hashem say, Come back, my children, except for Acher, which was his nickname, the alien one? Or did Hashem say, Come back, my children, except for Elisha Ben Avuya? There's two versions in Bavli and Chagiga, Perik Beis, and Yerushalmi, the same as Echta Chagiga, Perik Beis. Oh. Oh. Generally, the Bavli was written after the Yerushalmi, Halachika Bavli. One was what the Baskel said, and one was what he heard. The Baskel said, Shuvu Bonam Shevavim Chutz Come back, my children, besides the Acher. Elisha ben Avuya, one day you woke up in the morning and you decided that you're an acher, you're an alien, you're a foreigner, you're an outcast. You don't belong to Knesset Yisrael. You don't identify. Their faith is not your faith. Their heritage is not your heritage. Their history is not your history. I am not part of this cholent. I'm not part of it. I'm an acher, I'm an alien. I belong to Roman civilization, to Roman culture, which is what happened. He said it was like a... Jews used to talk a lot about a dibuk, <laughs> based on a play that was made, the dibuk. So Rabbi Yosheber said, it's like a schwarze dibuk is a rein in them. You know what a dibuk is? Yeah, like, like this black dibuk attached itself to Elisha ben Avuya. He looks in the mirror, and all he sees, uh, the picture of Dorian Gray, all he sees is Acher. I'm an alien. And the Rebbeinu Shalom says, that's not true, you're a child. You're not an Acher, you're a child. Shuvu bonam shevavim. Come back, my child. Leave your acher outside. Let go of your acher. Don't allow the acher image to interfere in our intimate relationship. I know you have that image, but that's from outside. Leave it outside. That stays. Keep it out. It's, it's contaminating. It's eroding. It's corroding. It's, it's destroying the fabric of our relationship. You decided we're enemies. You decided I hate you and you hate me. God said, it's not true. I'll never hate you. I never hated you. We're one. That's what the Baskal said. It's not what he heard. What he heard was, Shuvu Bonim Shevavim, Chutzme Elisha Ben Avuya. Elisha Ben Avuya, you're not welcome. Why? The tragedy, this was his tragedy. The tragedy was that for him, the Acher identity became synonymous with himself, with Elisha ben Avuya. So when he was told, let go of the Acher, I don't want the Acher, I want the child, what he heard was, I don't want you. Out. Sometimes what I tell my child is not what my child heard. Sometimes what I tell my spouse is not what my spouse heard completely opposite. I said, This person heard, I'm not welcome in this house. Because for this person, the I has become the Acher. And this is the difference that the Chazal are conveying through this subtle, nuanced change, which as we see is not so nuanced. So it's a completely different experience. What I'm communicating and what you perceived in the communication is different, and your perception is real, because it's real for you. And I can tell you, oh, you misunderstood. You can hear that you misunderstood, 
but can you feel that you misunderstood me? Not necessarily. And and you can't deny that. I could deny. I could sit in denial and say, "Yeah, yeah, I misunderstood." But if I was hurt, I was hurt. I have to. I have to confront it. I have to mature, but I also have to confront it. So, and again, this could be sometimes in a very dysfunctional, horrible, dysfunctional way. Two people are mamish living together, and it's just walking on eggshells because there's just absolutely no. The two worlds are not coming together. They just never come together. But it also exists in much more subtle ways, and in, 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 even in functional ways. Even people that are functional and civil. But I am I, and I have a certain hasaga. And things are processed through my hasaga. The you that I know is the you that I know. <laughs> right? I didn't repeat myself. The you that I know is the you that I know. It has nothing to do with you. The you that I know. Yeah. When I'm re- when I'm hearing something, it's distorted through through me. That's that's what we're saying. But yeah. when the person is giving it over, when you're saying something, you're distorting it through you as well. So what makes what you're saying to me more real than the way I'm receiving it? They're both distorted. Like what do I do? Why is it more important for me to chop your craziness than to chop my craziness? <laughs> Like this, we could be so why should I even listen to your question if your question was distorted through you? Exactly. So why should I even open myself up to the distortion exactly. of your question based on what you heard from me, which was not even what I said, but what you distorted in your mind of what I said before? So that's why I shouldn't even respond to your question. Because me and him have a special relationship. No, to your distortion. Or to your clarity. What he said. Right. You did not hear what he said. You heard how you heard it. Right. I have to cut through your mishigasim in order to hear what you really mean and what you intended to mean without you even knowing. Like it's like uh, there's no end. Okay, but we do that all the time. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. <laughs> you don't know. What you mean. He says he says that you know what he means through my, but you don't know what you mean. <laughs> You ever hear somebody say, I know what you mean? It's nice word. No, no. That's the negative. I don't do the positive. Sam, I know what you mean. You're 100% right. This is part of the challenge. Sometimes the person themselves is so distorted, and therefore the distortion is double and triple. Because it's not just I have to open myself up to you. You have to open yourself up to you. You're completely living in a, in a, in a fantasy island of yourself. You're right. That makes it much more complicated. And sometimes one actually, especially an educator, a good educator, has to know that the student may be distorting himself in a very powerful way. It's not that the student or the other person, sometimes a spouse is completely, so to speak, healthy. And the challenge is that I have to open myself up to it. Sometimes that person is going through a tremendous struggle within their own self-interpretation that really affects the relationship in a powerful way. I guess that would really be hearing them from who they are, with the distortion. 
once you try to get them, it comes with the distortions. But then you understand them, however they come out. That's true. That's true. There's nothing we can do about it. We just have to accept it. It's going to take both people to be ready to, to understand that. you got to understand it, not to be angry on what the situation comes out. Yeah, that's true, I think, yeah. We're talking about developing a true relationship. That's what the Right, the question now is, can one graduate stage one, stage B? Now, if you, have, if you don't have both on board, it becomes very, very painful and difficult. We could still do a significant amount of work. But if you don't have both on board, it's just a whole different experience. Because there's no, uh, there's no other voice joining me. The key distinction is where one graduates from a place of das to lamailam and adas. Meaning, what does it mean? Meaning the ability to grasp you not through my awareness. The ability to completely open myself up to you without analyzing, without dissecting, without intellectualizing. In other words, without bringing in my own interpretation to the relationship. Okay, of course we use our brain. Without the brain we can't access anything. I can't listen. But within that itself, I don't bring in my interpretation. I'm blank. I'm open. I'm open to you, not through the prism of figuring things out the way I figure it out. Now, we are tempted not to do this. We are tempted to bring in our interpretation. That's what I always do. I analyze you. <laughs> I dissect you. I know everything about you. I can explain to the whoever we're talking to about this person. And with proof, with history, with everything. And I could remain there. And people remain there. And they remain in a very stuck place. And sometimes arrogance also comes into play. I don't have the humility to come down from the tree. It's very humbling to come down from the tree. You have to be very vulnerable. Vulnerable towards the other person and vulnerable towards yourself. You also have to be very accepting of your own mistakes and failures. But that's step one. Step one is, there's no analysis of the relationship. I'm not trying to comprehend, to understand, to figure it out, to make sense of it, to file it, to label it, to put it in a filing cabinet and say, shine, the door is closed on this one. I'm fresh, I'm open. Almost like a, like, like a child in many ways. Children are wet sponges. They take things in, in a positive sense and in a negative sense. They don't discriminate. They don't have that maturity to be able to say, this I'm not listening to, this I'm listening to. As adults, we do that very, very often. We stop listening to certain things. It's like, oh, here, here she goes again. It's like, I'll finish the sentence already, it's fine. It's like Chazara Sashatz, you know? It's just a Chazara. It's one big Chazara Sashatz. Nobody's davening Shmonesra anymore. It's Chazara Sashatz. And you can, it's always predictable. It's always predictable what's going to happen. I'll finish it for you. You don't have to finish it yourself, it's fine. You could stop while you're ahead, I'll play it out. So the script is already done. There's no freshness which of course invigorates and stimulates the other person to respond to that as well. You wrote the script for me, I'll follow that script. <laughs> but in a, in a deeper relationship, I have no script for you. 
in this itself, there's a, there's, there's a deeper space, and yet a deeper space, and a deeper space. Now that's a very vulnerable space to be there, but that's where intimacy happens. Intimacy, achdos, real oneness, happens in that space. But from here, I can't remain in a defensive place of always defending myself. If there's no trust, this can never happen. Because why would I even go there? If I'm going to get backstabbed and betrayed, I have to create a picture, and I operate from that place. I'm in a war. Essentially, some people are always in a war. When you're in a war, you stay behind the wall. You don't go out of that wall. You remain in the trenches. And you peek, you see, but you always have to be ready to shoot at a moment's notice. When you're not in a place of trust, you can't afford to do this. Because you need to remain confident in your position, figure everything out, know when the enemy is coming, when to shoot, when it's safe. You'll peek here and there, but it's very, very limited. Only when there's real, real trust, that means you're trusting that there's no maliciousness, there's no ill feelings, there's commitment, there's real, real loyalty that's unwavering, can you have the courage and the vulnerability to be able to come out of all hiding places and really express a complete openness to the other reality. And that means also expressing complete vulnerabilities of my own interpretations, which means I have to acknowledge all my fears and many of my fears and insecurities that have triggered all these interpretations and I'm ready to graduate from and say, yes, I have always been listening to you from this and this perspective due to this and this experience and now I really want to stop that. It's, it's extremely, extremely vulnerable. It's very, the person removes their garments and lays beer. If you're in a war, you don't do that. You don't, you don't take off your helmet, I'm sorry. You don't take off your gear. You guys are with me? We're with our states of Chena how do we recognize whether we're distorting it or not? Usually we're distorting it. <laughs> you don't have to recognize. But the first recognition is knowing that it exists. So that when it's pointed out, we don't have to defend that as well. So the and this is not about judging. This is not about you're distorting me. This is the process of, of relations. It's really a beautiful process in many ways if we're ready to work on it. It's, it's an inevitable process. I am I. I relate to you through I. It's, it's, we're, that's what human beings do. And then we work together. And it, so the nimshal here is that just like in a human relationship, we understand that there's a person beyond the person that we see, here too, we understand from beyond Mamali and Sove, right. there's an aspect of Lovacus that we know is there that we have to yearn to try to latch on to. Right. The right. rest of us, we're still ready for more motion. And you're getting back to the point. The Shloim has said, for the rest of us, we're still... We would still like to sit in the marshal for a little, for another few years, for another few decades in the marshal. And then when he's 90, when he's 90, he'll go to the Nimsha. He'll go to the Nimsha. So there's the definition of the senior citizen. What? Yeah. We started with the marshal. Having fun, and you have to come and spoil it. I'm sorry, somebody asked something?
This is called basically the Aish and the Mayim. And I just, I just, it, it could be in a way that's very damaging, like by Alicia Ben Avuya. <laughs> but even when it's not damaging, even when it's you're dealing with people, let's say, who are healthy, healthy. I don't know who's healthy, but uh, I'm still looking for that person. But you're dealing with people, let's say, who, who live more or less functional, functional lives, could communicate, and can experience themselves, can experience other people. On, on a, again, everyone has struggles and chesroinus, but yesh v'yesh, you know, things are relative. It's still the nekud. You still have this same nekud. There is uh, grasping you, the way the you is interpreted by me, and then is opening myself up to the you, the way it is truly, truly authentic and pure. And this relationship exists even within ourselves to ourselves. Can you have a relationship with you that is not distorted? We do this to ourselves. I interpret myself to myself, and that's what I hold on to. And I don't let anybody shake that, because I become comfortable with that. This is who I am. And this I am has been processed through my own interpretation. And I stick to that. And if somebody comes close to shaking that up, I will bring proofs that this person is wrong. Because who knows me better than me? But sometimes I'm living my whole life with a self-image that is completely tainted by how I was forced, for whatever reason, or compelled to grasp myself in these terms, and that's what I do. And I never even learn about anything else. I don't want to be surprised. I don't want to be shocked. I put myself in a box. This is my identity, and this is who I am vis-a-vis the world, vis-a-vis myself, Gandhik. And when you talk to such a person, and you converse with such a person, and all of us have that dimension, they will only listen to certain things you say, and everything else will go, will be interpreted, because I'm not ready to challenge that. I'm not ready to open myself up completely. Maybe I am not who I think I am. In other words, maybe my eye is not my eye. Really? You're going to make me crazy now? The Svasemis writes, I think in Parshas Bamidbar, the Yid HaKadosh, one of the great tzaddikim of Poland, was known as the Yid HaKadosh. So why did they call him the Yid HaKadosh? You could call every Jew a Yid HaKadosh. Every Yid is a Helika Yid. So he said about him that they used to say that every day, every day, a very, very powerful word, his Avoidus Hashem was one that was completely new as though today he converted from being a non-Jew to a Jew. The change from yesterday till today was like a ger. Most people, I get up today, I daven shachrus, like I daven yesterday, like I daven today, we feel like I'll daven tomorrow. For him, the transformation every day was so fresh, the Yid HaKadosh, it's like he became a Jew today for the first time. Quantum leaps every day. In Yeridea, in Halacha, we have a klal that anything that's an old taste, if it's more than 24 hours in the pot, noisen tam libgam. And halachically, it's not going to be treif. Because noisen tam libgam, it's called not a basyoyma, pot that's not within 24 hours, 
the, the flavor, the non-kosher or the milchiks or the fleshiks has been absorbed three days ago when I cooked uh, when I cooked uh, pasta and cheese, it already has a different halachic status. Spiritual in 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 in, in, in chsidis, this is brought. Whatever is twenty four hours old is noisantam lebgam. It's blemished. <laughs> it's blemished. If your Yiddishkeit is 24 hours old, if your God is 24 hours old, it's already nice and tam <laughs> There's no flavor there. You don't want to eat it. It's old. But, but, but what do you mean old? We, what should, my God should be a new God. <laughs> of course he's 24. God is much more than 557, But if my experience is old, it's not a definition of God. It's a definition of me. I'm old. That's what we don't like. That's what we, that's what I meant with the senior citizens. <laughs> the Kotzke Rebbe says that uh, the Chazal speak about a person doing a maisa koif, uh, uh, like emul, uh, like a monkey. So he says, "What's pshat?" He says, "Monkeys, apes, and chimps—they often emulate people." So he says, "Sometimes people emulate people." And Chazal say when people get old, they become like monkeys. He says, what's pshat? They start emulating themselves. The Hearst, since for 60 years, I did this. So when I'm 61, what should I do? I copy myself. So I'm a monkey. <laughs> Maybe once I was a human. But today I'm a monkey because I'm just copying what I did yesterday. <laughs> I'm emulating what I did yesterday. So I'm essentially a monkey. I'm not human. And I have a good excuse. Seventy years of what I shouldn't copy what I did. He says that's what a monkey does. You're copying a human being, even if you were once a human being. Culture Cain, if you never even developed as a human being, you were always a monkey because you're just busy copying other people. What did somebody say? Don't copy other don't copy another person because his place is taken already. <laughs> Do your own thing. Be yourself, everyone else is taken. Be yourself, everybody else is taken. Huh? So this, 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 this has to do with ourselves also. So in the nimshal, as we shall see, this is just a, it's a little tam. It's, here it's on a much deeper level. But this, in the nimshal also in Elikus, you have the relationship with Hashem that is very powerful. It's not a small thing. It's called chitzonius alev. Now we understand why it's called chitzonius. It's the, it's the lion roaring. There's something more powerful than a lion's roar. You ever heard a lion's roar live? Not only on National Geographics. <laughs> Anybody ever heard of that lion? <laughs> when I was in Africa, we decided, my driver decided on the way to the airport to take me through one of these safaris where there's lions. And uh, I still don't know what happened. My guess is that he had steak in the trunk. South Africans usually have steak in the trunk. That's my guess. But the lion started to chase the car. <laughs> and it wasn't in a movie. It wasn't on YouTube. It was in real life. So uh, I experienced the Ka'arya Yishag. The roar of the lion and the chase of the lion. It's pretty forceful. And it's called Chitzayni Yishalev. Because when you have the Pnimius Alev, there's no roar. There's no roar. It's very, very silent. Huh? Very serene. Extremely serene. So this is the beginning of the difference. The Tfisa of Hashem as a creator, as the engine of the universe, is, is beyond awesome. 
it's the core of spiritual experience. It's the core of Yiddishkeit. It's it's a relationship with God. It's a relationship with the the God in you. But the God in you, in the Balatanya's title, was called the Chitzonius of Yiddishkeit. Because it's my grasp of God from the experience of the Nivra, which is legitimate, which is praiseworthy. Again, it's not dysfunctional. It's awesome. But we call it the Ziv. Why is it the Ziv? Because if you want to use the Yeshiva Shaloshan, Chitzayni Yisalev is the way I experience God from my experience of God, which means the way the Ray of Hashem is experienced. So in other words, it's an experience of Hashem, but it's really, it's, it's a... It's the uptight of Hashem from the perspective of the person. Chitzonius Halev is a din in the person. Pnimius Halev is a din in elikus. It's not the way it's experienced by the person. From his own perception, it's the person opening himself up to the divine itself. And that's an entirely different paradigm. As we shall see. Question I wanted connecting the mushrooms. So with let's say human relations, I understand it's only emotional. I know that beyond the what I'm sensing or feeling or understanding that person, there is an utmus. I know that. So I have to try to get into that and latch on to that. But I know there's an utmus. Now with Rabbon Shalom, the knowledge that beyond what I know from the Rabbon Shalom, there's an atzmos requires a certain act of faith because I don't even know that it is. So what I want to ask is, meant a long time ago, when I think it was at Semach Tzedek and I think it was on Matzah, we distinguished what, I think he spoke what real bitach, real amuna is. And he says, it's not what you think that, you know, you, you see so the Kalam and you believe there's a Rabbon Shalom behind behind all that armor that you see around you it's something above and beyond all that I, I don't remember I think it was at Semach Tzedek so is that what how in, in, in this Hasidic thought Emuna is thought of that before we can even latch onto the Atzimus that's beyond the, the what we feel is, as the Chitsonias that we have to believe that it actually exists because an Atzimus by a person I know exists an Atzimus by a locus requires a really leap of faith before even latch onto it that it really is there that's true and then there's another Nekuda that we will see that has to do with the Neshama of the Jew that is connected to that space beyond the world so it's not purely faith there's something we, we Right. There's something internal. There's Which a, there's is really how he defines, in Tanya, he defines Amuna, that Amuna is the experience of the soul. It's not just Amuna is... Uh, in, other, in other words, why do I believe? Why should I believe? Because my Zayda told me. So that's essentially a... Uh, and what if my Zayda was wrong? Right, like you said, suppose I grew up in a different house, right, so Muslim, right, right, right. So essentially Amuna, even though there's that concept of I believe the Messiah... But in a way, in many ways, that's weak because you know, then it's relative because very relative. Very relative. So, you know, my my bubble was not a liar. She was a tzaddikus. Okay, she was sincere. Doesn't mean what she said was real. She was sincere. So the real concept of Amuna is that there's an experience of it. I may not understand it, but there's an experience, of it. and therefore it's absolute. Therefore it's absolute. Now, of course, one can argue that itself needs a Muna. 
you experienced this and I experienced this. I, I brainwashed you for 40 years to experience the experience. And that's an argument. It's an argument. Is there empirical evidence for it? Yes, yes, yes. Page 88. Good morning, everybody, and welcome. Page 88, Patek Dalit. Page 88, on the top it says Nitzavim, the second column, Daf Mem Dalid, Omid Dalid, Mem Dalid, column 4, and we're up to the top of the page, which is Patek Dalid. Everybody sees? The last Mizmar of Tehillim, the last capital of David HaMelech's Sefer Tehillim, is of course Kapitel Kufnun, chapter 150. And it's the capital that we say every day towards the end of Pesukah de Zimra, before we get into the Vayivarech David, Baruch Hashem La'olam, and then of course Az Yashir, the last, the last complete capital to Hillam that we say in Pesukah de Zimra. Of course, Pesukah de Zimra are the verses that the Chachamim instituted to be said by Shachris before Berches Krishma. And they're called Psuke de Zimra, verses of song. And what were chosen were the last few chapters of Tehillim. After Baruch Shamra and Yehichvoid, we start with Ashrei Yoshve, Tehillel David, which is Kuf Memhe, chapter 145, right? Halaluka Li Nafshi, which is chapter 146. Halaluka Kitov Zamra, Kinoim Nava Sehillel is 147. Halaluka Luas Hashem and Hashemayim is 148. Shirul Hashem Shir Chadash is 149. And the last capital, the last chapter of Psalms is Hallelujah, Hallelujah, El Bekotche, Hallelujah, Brikia Uzay. Now, in English, sit there. Huh? Oh, very good, thank you. Now, this. Uh, this Mizmer has a lot of halalukas, and in camp they usually sing it, and upstairs they sometimes sing it. And when you look at the words, which we say every day, you know, it's easy to gloss over the words, it's just praise, 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 praise. Perik Dalit is going to open up this Mizmer Tehillim for us, and in quite a unique way. But to appreciate it, let's go through the Mizmer al Pipshat. What is David Amalek saying? First he says, Hallelujah, which means praise Hashem, Hallelujah, praise Hashem. Hallelujah, praise Hashem a second time. Bikachoy in his holiness. Okay. Praise Hashem for his holiness. Next, Hallelujah. Again, he says Hallelujah. He could have just said Bikachoy, Bikiyoza with a comma. But every time he repeats Hallelujah. In other words, it's a different praise. It's not the same praise. He can't say Hallelujah, Bikachoy, Bikiyoza, Bikvurosa, Kurev Gudla. It would be clear. Praise him for this and this and this and this and this. No. Everyone is a different hallelujah. So what's the first one? Hallelujah, Hallelujah, Kel, 
praise Hashem in His holiness. Next, Hallelujah, praise Him in the firmament of His strength. Rakia is what we use. Rakia means spread out. The heaven is called Rakia. Ah? Yes, Rakia is the heaven, but really it's the firmament, right? The Apostolic says he creates a Rakia Hashemayim to separate between the higher waters and the lower waters. We call it heaven, the firmament of the atmosphere. So, Hallelujah, Rakia with the firmament of his strength. Next, Hallelujah, Bigvuraisov. Now praise him for his might, his gvura, his strength. Next, praise him for his abundant greatness. Next, praise him with the call of the shoifer, which is a little strange. First you're talking about him, now you stop talking about him. Now we're going to talk about how to praise him. Not anymore him. We're done. We praised him for these things. Now I'll tell you how to praise him. Praise him with a shoifer. That's not enough. Then praise him with a harp and a lyre. Then praise him with timbrel and dance, with drums and dancing. And then stringed instruments and a flute. Resounding cymbals. Clanging cymbals. Now you know what this means. Now let's go to the next dimension of it. Now we'll understand what is being conveyed in this Mizmer of Tehillim and all these Psukim. Pirush. The entire process explored in this Maim Atim Nitzav until this point is all conveyed succinctly, briefly, concisely in these Psukim. The entire discussion that's been discussed is all in these Psukim. Pirush, Pshat is Azai. Bekotshay. The first thing is, Halalukel Bekotshay. What's Bekotshay? In His Holiness. Doesn't only mean that He's holy. Bekat Shoy is Bekaidish Ha'elyan. In the highest form of Kaidish, Shahumarim, Vekadish, Muvdal, Bepchinis, Levadai, Mikol, Pchinis, Vegadir Hashpa. Kaidish, Rashi says, Kedoshim to you, Prushim to you. Kedusha means aloof. You say, He's a holy man, something special, aloof, sublime, unique. A Sefatayr is holy, a Shul is holy. Certain things are kaddish, segregated, unique, distinct, transcendent is the right word. There's a transcendence about them. Bekatsha means ultimate kaddish, kaddish ha'alyeh, aloof, holy, distinct, in a state of levadai. Not only levadai legabah, the word mikol b'china v'geder hashpa. As discussed earlier in the Maimah, Hashem alakecha eich oichlu, the contrast between fire and water. Water descends, water, therefore, represents hashpa coming out communicating to a different space, a lower space which by definition requires restriction, limitation consideration of the recipient and the other that's the definition of hashpa Aish is inconsiderate of the other Aish is in the beginning of histalkus, aliyah departing, going up not going down, the opposite trend 
when we spoke about Hamelech Hamerumam Levadoi Meyaz Hameshubach Vamefoyer Vamesnasi Bimaisaylo Ani Hashem Loishonisi Kinizgov Shmoy Levadoi that Nekuda that before there's even a concept of Hashpa. The very concept of any hashpa from a lakus is already mayim. It's a yirida, it's a descent. So the first thing is bekachoy, kel elyon, acknowledging what we spoke is not the chitzonius of a lakus, but the pnimius of a lakus. Chitzonius of a lakus is already the way a lakus articulates itself, limits itself, defines itself as a hashpa. Even the highest form of hashpa. We're not talking only lower forms of hashpa. Any level of hashpa. Any level of flow, of communication, of giving, of bestowing, of creating, even when you're dealing with the deepest, deepest, deepest spiritual realities that are completely aware of the divine, even that level of ashpad already necessitates a trickle. It necessitates a restriction, a concealment, as he says, Madrega after Madrega, called Hishtaushulus with Hester and Islapshus and Simtsumim and concealments. To be master the Gilea, because without that, there could be no outside reality. There would be all the Olamas would seize and be In a Lakus Hashem himself, he says, the concept of Hashpa is not Shaykh, not Memale, and not even Soivav. Why? Because it's Kot Shoy. completely, completely, absolute infinity beyond articulation, beyond any finiteness, and therefore there's no way to talk about the concept of Ashpa, which by definition already is articulating a certain form or definition or level or madrege that any world, even the highest world, can relate to. This is what we begin with. Hallelujah, But it doesn't remain there, because existence is authentic. Existence is real. And therefore we continue. We continue. We start with Hallelujah B'Kotshay. Levadai. Over there it's alone. What do we mean alone? Levadai is not talking about before creation. Before creation, Avadai. Even after creation. In that state, there is only Levadai. In that state, Atuhu Koydim Shnevroilam, Atulacha Shnevroilam. In that state, all of existence is submerged in absolute oneness. Without any separateness, without any definition outside of that Ein Saif. In other words, this is not a theoretical madrege that could exist. This is the reality in that state. It's always levadai. HaMelech HaMeremem levadai. In that state of Eish. Hashem HaLekecha Eish Oichlo. So he says, after the parenthesis, Shehubchines Eish Oichlo. This is what we spoke about, Eish Oichlo. It eats up everything. What do we mean here, the concept of Eish? Like the nature of Eish, which is not in a state of Espashtos. It's not in a state of Yerida. Unlike Mayim. On the contrary, it always seeks to depart, to go away. It doesn't, you can't grasp Eish. You can't wrap yourself around Eish. It's always elusive. It defies any articulation. That's the Mashallah. Hashem Alekecha, by definition, is Eish Eichlu. That's, so to speak, its natural, organic state. Any definition trying to articulate is already defying its very essential nature. Articulation of truth is already the greatest contradiction to truth. Any form of articulating truth is already contrary to it. We have no choice. (laughs) What are we going to do if we don't articulate truth? But we have to recognize that the greatest problem is not the lie. The lie is already a natural result. 
It's the ability, it's the desire to articulate MS, to articulate truth. Just the hagdar of it, the articulation of it, is the issue. Because it limits it. Because it's yeah, Hashem alekecha eish eish. You don't you don't uh, you can't put fire in a box. Try put it in a box. It's going to break it down. Eish breaks down. It, it does not allow boxes. Any box is untrue. It's not true. Do not put me here because I'm not here. You want me to be here, but that's about you, not about me. It's your issue, not my issue. As discussed with relationships, it's all the same nekuda. Don't put me in your box. I know I want to put you in my box because, uh, first of all, if I'm a control freak, then I for sure want to put you in my box. But even if I'm not a control freak, I want to understand you. I want to, uh, I want to be able to help you, to grasp you. Right? So that's what we do. Again, on so many different levels, as we discussed, you can have it in a very, uh, you know, real problematic way. But even in much more, in much more subtle levels, there's always hafshata laachre, hafshata laachre, hafshata. I'm not going to get into this bariches, but in in the derech halimud of, of learning Torah, in the in the paths of learning throughout Jewish history, you have seen we have seen two different trends. In Isis of the Alter Rebbe, one is called the Derech of Halbasha, and one is called the Derech of Hafshata. The Derech of Halbasha literally means to dress up. The more you can dress up, the better it is. The Derech of Hafshata, Hafshata means lahafshit, to divest, to undress. Right? Poshit is Bgadav, huh? Poshit. Yes, simple, it becomes simple, undefined, and undressed. Lahafshit, that Tabgadim means to undress your clothes. Lahalbish. Levush means, of course, to dress up. So the Alter Rebbe has a phrase, Hafshata and Halbosha. One is a trend to remove as many clothes as possible, and one is a trend to put on as many clothes as possible. What is the difference? <coughs> Halbosha is, is a little more well-known, because it's also easier. Halbosha means you'll have a person, and his union is to take the concept and dress it up in as many garments as possible to make it relatable and applicable to everybody. A concept in its pure nakedness, intellectually, is very hard to deal with. It's a skeleton. Give me meat. Give me potato. Add some, uh, add some spices. Sate me some vegetables. And present it with levushim, with garments. We dress up to make a presentation, and a presentation that is relatable. It looks nice to people. What's the concept intellectually? You take an idea, and you don't want to leave it abstract. You want to illustrate it. You want to give mashalim, you want to give explanations, you want it to be gruntik, thorough. You'll speak about certain teachers, great balei hasbara. Reb Chaim Riske once said, I said, felt in hasbara, felt in havana. If you can't, don't tell me you can't explain. If you can't explain, you don't understand. <laughs> if you understand and you own it, you can explain it. Of course, in that itself, you have many madregas, but this was one derech halimut to be malbish more and more and more and more and more and more and more. There was an opposite derech, and that's the derech of hafshata. Derech of hafshata is usually not appealing. <laughs> By definition, derech of hafshata means get rid of every garment. <laughs> and even if there's an undershirt left, take that off too. And that itself, you take off one garment, and you deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper, in other words, you want to get to the core, 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 core of the theme, completely undressed, completely undressed, without any glamour, any articulate, even the idea that it's 
any articulation of any compromises. There was a chavrusa in Jewish history of two people who learned together for a year. Reb Chaim Brisker and Reb Chover. Reb Chover gone, Reb Yosef Rosen came to the base Halevi, Reb Yosef Doiv Halevi Soloveitchik, the father of Reb Chaim Soloveitchik, to learn by him in a city called Slutsk. His father saw that his teachers are not doing well for him. He didn't really fit into the system. Not like many other people don't fit into the system. I mean differently a little bit. Different type of... Hashem Elekecha Eish So his father didn't know what to do. So he sent him to the base Halevi. was one of the Goyne Hador. Rabbi Yosheber Soloveitchik. The father of Chaim Soloveitchik. So he sent him. He was a Rav of Slutsk. Before he left there. there, there. And then he went to Brisk ultimately. So he was there in Slutz, so he learned with Reb Chaim, like by mitzvah age, for a year. And uh, when you read their svarim, you see this difference. Reb Chaim was a tremendous master of halbosha. Tremendous master of halbosha. Trying to uh, dissect and articulate and explain in a very, very powerful way the yisoidus of a svara, the yisoidus of a sugya, which came to be known as the briske derech, which is its own path and its own derech. I mean, some of it is not always that derech, but this was a certain way of learning. The Rakachov and his Svarim, which are far less popular for this reason, also because of his writing style, all have shata. Any Svara you want to deal, any sugi you want to deal with, he likes to uh, remove all of its incarnations and try to explore its fine, fine, fine core. And when you do that, first of all, you see that it may be connected to 200 other sugyas that are all operating on that level, even though in terms of expression, they're different concepts. But that's only on a level of expression, not on a level of core. And there's generally two paths. One path is bringing down, and one path is going up. One path is water, one path is fire. When you're looking for hashpa, you need water. When you're looking for MS, meaning you want to get to the MS, to the core of it, then you're looking for the fire. You're looking to go out, out, out of the box. You want to go deeper and deeper and remove any form that imposes itself on the concept which makes it a little more coarse. Now the truth is, one has to be a Kali for this because it's not about articulating it, it's about getting to a much deeper place. And this is the Nikudah of Hafshat. Here we have these two trends. They, they, they exist in Torah because they exist in Alakus. It always begins in Alakus and then it exists in Torah and it exists in everything in the world. The first is Alalukel Bekotche is Hashem Alakecha Eish Oichlo. Umekel Elyon Hanal Nishbaha Oivachius Ayede Rekia Uzoi. Now you come to a new Halaluhu. Halaluhu Berekia Uzoi. From this age, Kel Elyon. There is a hashpah. There's a light and an energy that comes out through Rakia Uzay, the firmament of his strength. What's this? Rakia Uzay is a Rakia represents a firmament. It's like a veil, which are the many, many veils, curtains, partitions that eclipse. And conceal the revelation of his divine divinity, the Helem Achar Helem. Concealment after concealment, he says two, but he means endless layers or many layers of concealment. That's the second. Halalukel Bekotchoy, if we would remain in the Bekotchoy, it's Levadoy. 
there's only Ein Saif. And there's no room for any articulation and any box whatsoever, even the most spiritual, sophisticated, transcendent form. But then we go to the next step. Hallelujah. It's a new hallelujah. There's a rakia. Rakia is a masach. It's basically a firmament. Vihi rakia mavdil. That's the first time rakia is introduced into Chumash, right? Beratius in the beginning, beginning of Genesis. It's mavdil. It's a masach. It's literally a veil. It separates. What do we mean here? It blocks the presence of the Ein Soif in its full truth. And therefore, what's the, what does it do? It allows for articulation of the divine. The moment you start articulating the divine, you already make it relevant to a recipient. There's already an other that is introduced. There's a consideration of another. Now, consideration of another is not another. Consideration of another means in my mind, I'm thinking about the concept of somebody else. But there's no somebody else yet. Till there's going to be the reality of the world, there's still going to be endless levels of concealments, which is still without another, but it's consideration of another. For example, there's a person learning by himself, there's a person preparing a shear to give over to somebody else, there's no anybody else yet, but in your mind you have to imagine that other. And if you're not imagining that other, your preparation is not going to be sufficient. Sometimes people who get up, they want to communicate, and they thought it was so clear in their mind, it is, but they go blank, or nobody knows what they're talking about. Why? Because there was no consideration of the other. They're completely in their own world, and in their world it makes perfectly sense. They convey it, but it's so abstract. They're talking to themselves, they're not talking to anybody else, so nobody knows what you're talking about. This happens all the time. For the person, sometimes the person himself doesn't know what he's talking about. But uh, considering that the person does know what he's talking about, but nobody else knows what he's talking about, or even if they know what he's talking about, it doesn't mean anything to them. Why? Because you didn't consider the other. You have to consider the other before there's another. We speak about, you asked, Reb uh, Naftali asked, What was Shmoy? Shmoy is the potentiality within the Ein Soif that could be articulated for the other. The potential in Ein Soif to be articulated, it doesn't have to be articulated then, because it's an Ein Soif. But in Ein Soif you also have the potential to be articulated. That's called Shmoy. In other words, the aspect of Ein Soif that is relatable to the other, and one day, if you're going to pluck that out, it'll be able to be relatable, that's Shmoy. This whole process also exists within the person's own relationship and communication. Of course, on a different level, in the microcosm, but the concepts are there. Mipsari echzeleka. The microcosm is always a mirror of the macrocosm in Teres Anister, especially by the by the Balatanya. Always. The human, human psychology, the human chemistry is always a mirror, a reflection of the entire structure of all of existence from Bekotshai. So now we're step two. Rikia Uzay. Rikia takes Uzay. Why is it Uzay? Uzay is because it's essentially the concept of Helen, the ability to contain, to restrict himself to allow the Gilu Yalakus to come through veils. So just like if it's tremendous light and you put up curtains and veils, the light will travel through the curtains. But the light 
on the other side of the curtain is never the same on the light, like the light on the other side of the curtain. It's completely a new light. It's, it's, a, it's a reborn light. Why? Because it went through a tremendous masach, a tremendous veil. In the Beis HaMikdash, Chazal say, Yud Gimel Paroiches Hayob HaMikdash. There were 13 curtains in the Beis HaMikdash. Each Paroiches basically mitigated, it diluted the Kedusha. Between Kodesh HaKadoshim and Kodesh, there was a Paroiches. It wasn't only a physical curtain, it was a spiritual curtain. Paroiches is a Masach, that's what a Masach is. It's called a Paroiches, or a Viloin sometimes it's called. What is it? From the Kodesh HaKadoshim, there was a certain presence of the Shekhinah. To go into the next step, you have to have a Paroiches. The Paroiches blocks it. So what I'm receiving in this room is not what you're receiving in that room. If I would go into that room, I wouldn't be able to exist. My eye, as I know it, would not be able to be. In Bayesheni, the Gemara says in Yuma, many Kayanim Gdoilim would pay, would pay off the authorities to become Kayanim Gdoilim, and they wouldn't survive uh, that year because uh, they were going to Yom Kippur, they weren't worthy, and they would die. Remember the Lubavitcher Rebbe once said, he says, Giba Kukafayid. These are Jews who bought the Kohuna Gdoilim for money. In other words, they were completely corrupt. And they knew they're going to die in Yom Kippur because their friend died in Yom Kippur. But they wanted intimacy with God for a few moments on Yom Kippur and they were ready to do that. So you have to understand, you talk about this corruption and this corruption. Yeah, you wanted to say something. Question, how can a uh, physical thing block a That's a wonderful question. How can a physical parochis block a spiritual reality? No, you're right. The parochis was a physical symbol of the spiritual transmission. Everything in the Beis HaMikdash was a physical feature that was reflecting a spiritual feature. The parochis existed on two levels. One was pashat concrete, you couldn't see what's going on or walk in. But the other one was a parochis that actually eclipsed a certain intense level of relationship that you couldn't be in. So Uso was Mamish Midas Agvura, yeah. which is Tzimtzum. It's yeah. the first, the That's the first manifestation. Yeah. The earliest manifestation where there's a Mosach, so that the Ein Soif wants to be Mashpia, but he knows for Hashpa to happen. It's irrelevant to whom. The word Hashpa is already Rekia Uze. The word Hashpa means articulate, communicate. All communication is articulation, because communication means there is another. If not, I'm not communicating. Even communication to myself. Communication here doesn't mean to not somebody else. Even to me, I'm articulating myself to myself. The first step where we come, go away from our essence is when we speak to ourselves about ourselves. What we're saying to ourselves about ourselves has very little to do with us. <laughs> very little. I don't mean to drive anybody crazy, but... Uh... That's why the, the Rokhachev's uh, cryptic style wasn't well received? He First of all, Rokhachev's writing style was very difficult. He, he couldn't write, unfortunately. I know he couldn't talk. He spoke, Shlomi Yosef Zevin writes that when he spoke, a five-year-old understood. When he writes, unless you know Bavli Yerushalmi Balpeh, where you have the help of the people who do the footnotes, <laughs> it's just you can't, you can't get close to it. Reb Chaim Briske was a Baal Masbid. He was a pedagogue. Reb was a pedagogue. He was an educator. He was a teacher. He sat with, with students, with teenagers. He explained. He mentored. Rekachova was uh, Bekotshoi. <laughs> he was Lovata. You could see his writings. But when you, when, you, when you read him, you hear him, it's, there's, a, there's a certain like, 
you feel there's a depth of, of, of Torah that's uh, simply unparalleled. He saw it like he saw everything in Havshot. Uh, so that's Rikiyozai, that's the Masach. So therefore, from Bekotri you come to Berikiyozai, Behela Machera. Next, Ubigvuraisov. Hallelujah, Berikiyozai, now is a new Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Bigvuraisov. What's Hallelujah, Bigvuraisov? Here it's Lashen Rabbim. Rikiya Uzoy is Yachid. Gvuroi Sov, not Gvurosoi, Gvuroi Sov. His strengths is plural. Hain, Hain, Matsimtsumim, Asha Achara Helem. After the concealment, there are Tsimtsumim, there are restrictions. The Slapshus Oyrein Soy Baruchu Bekama Mine Levushna Madregeshainus. The Oyd of Infinity closes itself up in many different garments and levels. As I only then, Nishba Oira Achius, the light and the energy could be can flow. Kav lekav zeirsham zeirsham, an expression of Yeshaya Navi. Kav lekav means a line to a line, one line to another line to another zeirsham zeirsham, a little bit here, a little bit there. Kadesh yuchlu kol oylem esal yainim v'tachtoinim lekabel chiyusim, so that all the worlds are yainim and tachtoinim give me kabel their chiyus. Berikia Uzo he defined as the helam. The first Helamus that allow the Hester of Gilead Lakusa Yisbarach. Bigvuraisov, he defines as the Tsimtsumim after the Helam, the Slapshus of Eden Saif in many different Levushin of Madregus Shoinus, and that's when the worlds can emerge and receive their Chiyas. Meaning, Birikiya Uzi represents the first stage. The first stage is concealment. What is concealment? That the Ein Saif should simply be concealed, because without that concealment, it's impossible for there to be another, for there to be an identity, any level of identity, even the most sublime spiritual identity. Bigvuraisov in the plural is actually the Ein Soif, enclothing itself, in articulating itself in endless forms of identity. You'll call it Atzillus, Briya, Yitzira, Asiya, Chesed, Gvura, Tiferes, Netzachoyd, Yisoyd, Malchus, masculinity, femininity, intellect, emotion, Instinct, the animal kingdom, the botanic kingdom, the mineral kingdom, the earthy kingdom, the human kingdom, transcendent worlds, angels, souls, everything is an articulation of the divine. There's nothing that's not the divine. The Baal Shem Tev says, God is Alts, on Alts is God. That's what the Baal Shem says, God is Alts, on Alts is God. But it's Alts. Here you're articulating yourself in a rock, here in a gray, a, a, a snowflake, a droplet of rain, the heartbeat of a baboon, a blade of grass, a lily, the sun, a black hole, a galaxy, stars, angel souls, emotions, experiences, encounters, everything has its own identity. Again, some are very sensitive, some are coarse, spiritual, physical, some aware of the divine, some not aware of the divine, some atheistic as well. The atheist is also, the heartbeat of the atheist is also divine. <laughs> and his neurons are also divine. The very neurons with which he's developing in his own mind his brilliant thoughts <laughs> about life are also divine. That's the miracle of nature. Of course, you don't want to tell this to the atheist. You don't want to spoil it for him. You don't want to tell him that God is allowing him to be, <laughs> to be an atheist. That's also divine. Because uh, 
What would become his yichus <laughs> for that price? He could. <laughs> what, what is he going to do for a living? But the nekuda here is: this is already step two. First step is Helen. The oil has to be concealed, completely concealed. After concealment, now you have actually communicating, communicating through levushim, dressing up. That's what that that's the gvurois of the tzimtzumim after the helm. What's tzimtzumim after the helm? After concealment, after self-suspension, now the oil becomes malubush. It assumes incarnations, madregas, garments, kavlekavs, eishem, eishem, and every world in its own way can receive its energy and develop itself as an identity. <coughs> what would be these two stages? Again, in our communication, first is rekia uzoi. Then is Gvuraisov. The difference is very significant. Before I can get to Gvuraisov, I first have to self-suspend. What do I mean by self-suspend? I first have to be able to say, I'm going to block, I'm going to stop experiencing it the way I'm experiencing it. There has to be a certain element of an empty space, an openness, where my eye is not present that can then allow, allow, simply for the appreciation of another presence. Then, step two after that is, taking your ideas and communicating them in a way that relates to the other person. But before I can do that, first there has to be a helm in myself. What do I mean a helm in myself? The ability to be able to suspend my own thought process and my own experiences, simply to be able to open myself up. When we speak about relationships between people, we spoke about... No different types of relationships. The first step in experiencing the other person is in a relationship. First, there has to be rakia uzay. Rakia uzay means I have to stop putting in my energy into it, my creativity into it, my experience of it. Simply create a, a an openness, a void, a cavity, a, an openness. It's called in Kabbalah a chalal, an empty, a mokam panoi in which there can even be the presence of somebody else. Then there is actually articulating the energy in a way that is relatable to them. In the nimshal, what is this? First is Rakia Uzay, which is the helm of the Ein Saif. The helm of the Ein Saif creates fertile ground for there to be able to be a world. Now the Ein Saif needs to communicate itself and enclose itself in a particular way that it can actually give chiyas to this world. This, that's why Rekia Uzay is Lashen Yachid and Gvoraisov is Lashen Rabbin. When the great teacher wants to communicate, it's not enough for him to say, how do I communicate this message in a way that it relates to people? He's not ready for that yet. The first thing is he has to go blank. Completely blank. What's if, he, if, if he remains present fully in his world, he will never be able to find the energy that is relatable to the student. Because the way he's communicating the energy is a reflection of him. The first thing that has to happen is, in a sense, intellectually, I don't exist. My intellectual eye does not exist. And therefore, you create an empty space where there is real space for the other. And there's no consideration of eye. It's not, how do I make my eye up? How do I talk to you? I don't know how I talk to you. First of all, create an empty space where my intellectual ego is not here, where there could be a beginning of a consideration of you. 
That's called the first step, the helim. Afterwards, once that happens, then the teacher could go back in and find in his information, in his data, in the infinite data, so to speak, he can find that trickle that will be relatable to the student. But in order to be able to find that, to be able to even discover that, the first has to be a complete openness to the presence of the other. And that's the Rakia Uzai followed by the Gvuraisaf. So we start with Bekotchoy, you continue with Rakia Uzai, and then you go to Gvuraisaf. Next, Halalu Kiroiv Gudloy. What's now? Now it's the opposite. Roiv Gudloy means his tremendous greatness. Pirush. After all the veils and restrictions, from here emerged myriads and myriads and myriads of worlds infinitely. Endless worlds, and in each world, endless legions. Ubigdud echad elef alafim, the Navi says. And in one legion, you have elef alafim, Yisham Shuni, myriads of angels. V'lachenk siv kiroiv gudloi, v'loike goidel gudloi. Shalif loshin roiv moedish, yesh kama minei ribu yishalkos. B'bchinech gudulos ispashtos achiyus, b'kama minei oilamus. doesn't say k'goidel gudloi, it says roiv gudloi. What happens after the tzimtzum, after b'gvuroisov, now the greatness of God emerges. <laughs> Till this point, the greatness of God can't emerge. Why? We explained what is Gdulas Hashem. Gdulas Hashem doesn't mean God is big. Gdulas Hashem means God is everything. God is infinite. Till this point, there's no Gdulas Hashem. Why is there no Gdulas It's all Levadai. It's all Hashem Himself. Now, at this point, the, the divine is expressed everywhere in endless diversity. Worlds and angels and souls, oilumis aid misper, and every world is endless nivroyim on every level, and it's all the chayas of Hashem. This is only after Rikia Uzay, after Gvuraisov. Now, finally, the Gdula comes out. The Gemara says in Brachas, Hagdula Zumaisibereshes, Lecha Hashem, Hagdula Zumaisibereshes. Why? Creation is an expression of the infinity of God that comes out in every single nivra. This is Giroiv Gudloy. It's not Kegoidel Gudloy. It's the Ribu Yishalkus, the endless diversity, which brings out his greatness, meaning his infinity, his Hispashtus in every single nivra. It starts with Bekotshoi, it goes to Rikia Uzoi, from there it goes to Gvuraisov, and then the recipient says, Look at Gadlus Hashem, Roiv Gudloy, which is only possible because there was Rikia Uzoi and Gvuraisov. All this, David HaMelech now shifts, stops talking about God, he goes to the Shaifa. All this, hallelujah. You should be praising him. You know why? All this is, there should be Tkiyas Shaifa. What's Tkiyas Shaifa? This should be able to be the shoifer. What's the shoifer? No words. The shoifer is the pnimius nekudas alev kol pashat kia below yischal kus oisiously is pchinas dibur kana. The shoifer. There's no words. There's no letters. It's the tzaykev from pnimius alev. What does the tzaykev from pnimius alev represent? We explain. There's the tzaykev from chitzonius alev. That grasps the chitzonius of Elikos, va'ata mechayas kulam, the roiv gudloi, and he gets excited from that. He even roars like a lion. He's excited, but that's achri Hashem alekechem yalech. What's the shoifer? 
The shayfer is the pnimius nekudas halev, where there's absolutely no words. It can't be contained in words. It's when the soul of the Jew becomes a violin that senses the music of pure infinity, the pure divine. Halalu alukel bekatshay, the pnimius of alukus, which triggers the pnimius halev of complete oneness beyond tam vedas, beyond grasping. That's the tshuva law, the pchinas tshuva, the complete oneness. So that's the shoifer. So hallelujah, 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 good life. All that should be able to be the shoifer which takes you back through grave good life, through gvoroisov, through uzoi, through rikia uzoi, back to bekotshoi, back to the core, back to the pnimius of alakus. The whole ishtalshal is the whole evolution which goes through such an intricate process until we face the world as is, and we celebrate the world as is, that's chitzonius halev. And then you take out the shoifer, min ha-meitzah karasa yutke, you blow the shoifer from the meitzah, from the narrowness. What's the narrowness here? Narrowness is not the narrowness that I have a little something stressing me out in life. That's the, that's the result. The real narrowness is already the first helem, the first concealment on ain't soif. That's the meitzah. And the shoifer breaks out of that. The shoifer says, I want you. And I want the real you. I don't want the you that's diluted and compromised and mitigated and the way it comes down in Levushim and the way I have you and grasp you and the way I experience you based on the filter of my eye. The shoifer is that I sense the true presence of the you and it moves me. And therefore there's no dibur, there's no isis. That's the hallelujah, b'teka shoifer that allows the Jew to skip over to climb back through all the processes and go back into the Bekotshoi without getting trapped and convoluted in the Rakia Uzoi and the Gvoroisov and the Rav Gudloi. On the contrary, the, it's all this, the Teka Shoifer is the cry that reaches into the Bekotshoi. It says, which is the Tzaika that comes from reason, from understanding, that always comes into words. It becomes divided. Words are articulated. Words are defined. To speak, you have to define the concept. If you don't define a concept, there's no communicating about it. Stop talking about it. The shoifer says, I'm sorry, I can't talk. I have no words. All words will not express what I'm trying to touch upon. If I'm speaking about it, it's already, already, it's Vuraisov. So the Kol Shoifer, it's not a word, it's not even a tzaika from the mouth. It's not even a cry from the mouth. It comes from the Pnimius Alev, so it's not even articulated in the cry. The Arya Yishag, the lion roars, is an excitement, is a passion. But that excitement represents the ego of the lion, the king of the animals. It's a roar that is full of passion. But it's a roar that is full of presence of the lion. Here, on the contrary, there's complete oneness, and therefore it's beyond any oasis. From the power of intellect, that's where the letters are chiseled out. They're, they're yun, they're nechtsavu, they're carved out. Zoya says the father creates the daughter, meaning in this case Abba is Chachma, Seichel, and Oisius is Malchus. That's called Brata, the daughter. So therefore, the Lub, take a Shoifer, that's the Shoifer, the Tzaik of the Pnimius Halev, that never reaches a state of Dibur and Eschalkos, 
So that's the whole Seder of David HaMelech describing everything as its own Halalukah. There's Halalukah Bekotshoi, Halalukah Berkiya Uzoi, Halalukah Begvaroisav, Halalukah Goodley, and each one is celebrated. Rikiya Uzoi is a tremendous celebration. Gvuroisav is a tremendous celebration. Viroiv Gudle is actually the result of it, which is godless, it's greatness, it's infinity, it's awesomeness. The Chose says, this is all that it should be able to be. They should be able to be the Tkiyas Shoifer, the Tzaik of Pnimius Halev, that is aware of this whole process. If he's not aware of this whole process, there's no Tzaik of Pnimius Halev. He's aware of this whole process, and he's looking for that Pnimius. And the shoifer is the out the cry reaching out to that. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.